Wisdom from Above with Dr. Harlan Betts. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Wisdom from Above, where we go beyond the reasoning of man to the revelation of God. I'm excited to tell you that this is the 90th podcast of Wisdom from Above, and this eighth season is going to be a study of the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is apocalyptic and predicts a future that is cataclysmic. The book of Revelation reveals the disappearance of the church, the mark of the beast, and the coming of Christ. The book of Revelation tells of a fiery red dragon inciting war in heaven, a mortally wounded Antichrist coming back to life, and a false prophet deceiving the world. The book of Revelation reveals a period of Holocaust such as the world has never known, but it also predicts the power of Christ coming and the peace of Christ reigning. It predicts a coming world in which there is no more sickness or sorrow, no more poverty or persecution, no more wickedness or war, no more disease or death. This book is loaded with stunning predictions, powerful promises, and practical applications. I couldn't be more excited to dig into this book. Are you ready? The prologue of the book of Revelation is found in Revelation chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. The first three verses. I want to highlight seven foundational facts found in these verses. Fact number one, the title. The title is The Revelation of Jesus Christ. The Greek term translated revelation is apocalypsis. Apocalypsis means to uncover or to disclose, to unveil or to reveal. This book is designed to reveal, not conceal. It's designed to clarify not to mystify. And it's good to note that apocalypsis is singular, not plural. This is not the book of revelations, plural. It is the book of revelation, singular. Fact number two, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is a revelation about Jesus Christ, especially about his coming. Jesus means Jehovah saves. He's the unique God-man, the Savior of the world. Christ means anointed one, the promised Messiah King. Jesus Christ is the Lord of the church, the Messiah of Israel, the judge of the world, and the King of kings. 
But this is not only a revelation about Jesus Christ. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ. As verse 1 says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show. God gave Jesus this revelation to show to his bondservants. God is the ultimate author of all scripture. The book of Revelation is inspired by God. The book of Revelation is without error. The book of Revelation is accurate. The book of Revelation is authoritative. Fact number three. The readers. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants. Those are the readers, his bondservants. Those who believe in Jesus Christ, who've been bought with a price, the precious blood of Christ. Ultimately, this is to all churches and all believers everywhere. As we see in verse 3, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. But specifically, we see in verse 4, to the seven churches which are in Asia. So the bond servants here are people who believe in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, but specifically it's being addressed to the believers in the seven churches of Asia Minor. Fact number four, the contents. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants, things which must shortly take place. So it's things of the future. They will take place. It's things which are certain. They must take place. And it's things which are sudden. They will take place shortly or you could say quickly, or you could say suddenly. The term that is used here by John is entake. We get our term tachometer from take, tachometer, a meter or measure of speed. And in fact, entake is translated speedily in Luke 18.8. The idea then is not that the event will take place soon, but that when it does take place, it will be swift. It will be sudden. For example, Jesus' coming may not be soon, but when he comes, it will be sudden and swift. Fact number five. The writer. He sent and signified it. Jesus sent and signified this book by his angel, to his servant John. So let's uh, let's just take a moment here to notice the chain of communication. First, from God the Father to Jesus Christ. Second, from Jesus Christ to his angel. Third, from his angel to John. And then fourth, from John to the seven churches and all other believers. Note the seven churches. The number seven appears 54 times in the book of Revelation. 
The number seven is used more frequently than any other number in the Bible. The number seven is used to indicate completion or perfection. In the book of Revelation, there are seven churches. There are seven spirits, seven lampstands, seven stars, seven seals on the scroll, seven horns and seven eyes of the lamb, seven angels, seven thunders, seven heads of the beast, seven trumpets, seven golden bowls, and seven kings. Let's take just a moment to reflect on the life and legacy of John, who God uses as the human author to record this revelation. He's called John the son of Zebedee. He was a fisherman. He's called John the brother of James. They were called the sons of thunder. He, John, he was called John the disciple of Christ. And even more, the beloved apostle. He's also described as John the apostle of love. We have Paul, the apostle of faith, Peter, the apostle of hope, and John, the apostle of love. And this is evident in their writings. And John had three kinds of literature that he wrote. Historical, personal, and prophetical. His historical liter- literature was the gospel according to John, in which the challenge was believe. His personal literature was the epistles of John, in which the challenge is be pure. And then there's the prophetical literature, the revelation of Christ, in which the challenge is be ready. I want to give you just a little background on John at the time that he is writing the book of Revelation. John was living at a time when the Roman emperor, Titus Flavius Domitian, applied to himself all the attributes of a god and demanded others worship him as a god. Christians refused to worship the emperor and a major wave of persecution was launched against the church. Christians were subjected to public ridicule economic boycott, Roman imprisonment, isolating exile, and all kinds of horrible physical torture and death. The book of Revelation reminds them that God is still on the throne. John himself was exiled by Emperor Titus Flavius Domitian, who ruled from AD 81 to 96, He was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, which was a Roman penal colony off the coast of Asia Minor. John was exiled to this Roman penal colony because he bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. And John's message was a threat to the glory and power of the emperor and to the self-proclaimed deity of the emperor. 
So John wrote the book of Revelation while exiled on the Isle of Patmos. Fact number six, the communication. In verse two, we read, He sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. To signify means to clarify by some sort of sign or symbol or words. I read about a boy who tried to explain to his little brother what radio was like. He said, You know that a telegraph is a long wire that runs between two cities. It's like having a big dog with his tail in Los Angeles and his head in San Francisco. If you step on his tail in Los Angeles, he barks in San Francisco. Now, radio is the same thing, only you don't have no dog. (laughs) He was using a symbol to help his brother understand. The book of Revelation uses symbols to simplify and clarify. These symbols simplify that which is difficult, and they clarify that which is confusing. As we go through the book, you'll be pleased to discover that almost every one of the symbols in the book of Revelation are explained somewhere in the book of Revelation or in some other part of the Bible. Remember, this is not the book of confusion. It's a book of Revelation. So, God communicated this revelation to Jesus, who communicated to his angel, who communicated to his servant John. And then it says, John bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ and to all things that he saw. Clearly, this was some kind of audio-video presentation. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants. There are four methods of interpreting the book of Revelation. The idealist views the book as timeless. This view of the book spiritualizes the book and sees the book not as a predictive prophecy, but as a symbolic portrayal of the age-long struggle between good and evil with the ultimate triumph of righteousness. The preterist views the book as past. This view of the book sees the book not as predictive prophecy. It sees Revelation as symbolic description of the first century Roman persecution of the church, emperor worship, and the divine judgment of Rome. The historicist views the book as allegory, This method views the book as an allegorical panorama of all of church history from its inception at Pentecost to the Second Advent. But being allegorical, it is very subjective and has over 50 conflicting interpretations. The fourth and final method of interpreting the book of Revelation is called the Futurist View. And the Futurist views the book as prophetic. The Futurist views the book as predictive prophecy. 
In contrast to the idealist, preterist, and historicist, all of which allegorize the words and spiritualize the meaning, the futurist view looks at the words in Revelation from a normal, natural, grammatical interpretation. The book of Revelation is interpreted just the same as every other book of the Bible. It just takes its plain interpretation, its normal, natural, grammatical interpretation. And this, I believe, is the correct method of interpreting the book of Revelation. This view regards everything in the book from chapter 4 through chapter 22 as being yet to be fulfilled in the future. Let me give you a little insight into how to interpret the Bible. There are three rules of interpretation that we should all follow. The golden rule of interpretation is this. When the plain sense of the scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense. When the plain sense makes common sense, seek no other sense. Just take a normal, historical, grammatical interpretation of the scripture, which recognizes symbols and figures of speech, but always seeks the literal meaning of the terms. And in the book of Revelation, if you follow this golden rule of interpretation, you'll discover that everything from chapter 4 on is still future. This view is consistent with our interpretation of all the other books of the Bible. The silver rule of interpretation is that Scripture is its own interpreter. Scripture is its own interpreter. Scriptura sui ipsius interpres. Scripture is its own interpreter. The Bible is its own interpreter. The Bible explains itself. We should compare Scripture with Scripture. We will discover that almost every symbol in the book of Revelation is explained in the book of Revelation or elsewhere in the Bible. The bronze rule of interpretation is that a text out of context is a pretext. We must always study a verse of Scripture within its own context. You should never take a verse out of context and try to follow it without understanding its context. For example, I heard of a man who didn't know what God wanted him to do, so he just opened his Bible and let the wind blow the pages, and he stuck his finger into the Bible, and it landed on a verse that read, Judas went out and hung himself. Well, the man was a little confused about what that might mean, so he did it a second time. And his finger landed on a verse that said, Go and do likewise. Well, now he was really getting worried, and he felt that he needed some kind of confirmation, so he determined to do it just one more time. This third time, his finger landed on a verse that said, What you do, do quickly. Well, I mean, the message was clear. Judas hung himself. He was to do likewise, 
and he was to do it right away. The message was clear. Or was it? Was that God speaking to him? No, absolutely not. He was looking at those verses out of context. And a text out of context is a pretext. So we want to follow these three simple rules of interpretation as we study the book of Revelation. Just like we follow these three simple rules of interpretation when we study any other book of the Bible. We interpret every book of the Bible in its normal, natural sense. And we compare Scripture with Scripture, and we study each verse in its context. This normal, natural, grammatical interpretation of the text leads to an understanding that Revelation chapters 4 through 22 are all future. We do take the future's view. This is often referred to as the pre-millennial view. Now, Jesus will return previous to the millennium, pre-millennial. There are others who are amillennial. They don't believe there's, there is any actual thousand-year reign. And there are some who are post-millennial, believing that Jesus comes back after this long, some long period of time. But we are, I am pre-millennial. Now, just to give you a big picture of Revelation, let me share a very simple overview of the timeline of Revelation. We have a picture of Christ in chapter 1. The church age in chapters 2 and 3. Followed by the seven-year tribulation in chapters 4 to 18. Followed by the second coming of Christ in chapter 19 followed by the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ in chapter 20, followed by the new heaven and earth in chapters 21 and 22. Now we come to fact number seven, the final fact we are going to notice in this, these first three verses. And this is the promise. Blessed is he who reads, and those who hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Any study of any book of the Bible will be a blessing to the one who studies it. But unlike any other book of the Bible, the book of Revelation uniquely begins with a divine promise of blessing. First, blessing to those who read this prophecy. God wants this book read. Far too many ignore this book. Some think it's too scary. Some think it's too hard to understand. But God promises a blessing to those who read it. Second, blessing to those who hear this prophecy. God wants this book to be heard. It is to be read and taught so people can hear it. And that is exactly what we're going to do in this eighth season of Wisdom from Above. Third, Blessing to those who keep this prophecy. To keep is to obey. To take the message to heart and to act on it. Fourth, blessing of a positive focus. This book was designed to change the reader's focus from their present suffering 
to their future reigning. And the scripture in other places, in Romans and Corinthians, makes it clear that those who suffer with Christ will ultimately reign with Christ. Fifth, the blessing of a hopeful outlook. This book was designed to change the reader's lives by providing hope in the midst of heartache and clarity in the midst of confusion. We as believers in Jesus Christ have the blessed hope of the return of Jesus Christ. And then sixthly, the blessing of a godly life. This book was designed to promote a life of godliness and purity lived out in the light of Christ's return. This same author, the beloved disciple John, makes this clear in 1 John chapter 2, verses 28 to 3, 3, where he talks about the hope of Christ's return and the hope of becoming like him and purifying our lives because Jesus Christ is pure. Seventh, like all prophecy, this book of prophecy is written not simply to satisfy our curiosity, but to stimulate our purity. It had that kind of impact on the Apostle Paul. Hopefully this study will be a blessing to you, and hopefully it will impact your life in a very positive way. I want to encourage you to take care of yourself and to keep looking up. I look forward to having you meet with me each week as we seek to discover the meaning of the book of Revelation. Thank you, my friend, for joining me in this passionate quest for wisdom from above.